All right, let's, let's rock and roll. So the last, last class, just kind of as a, a little bit of a review. So we covered the meaning of life. That was pretty simple. Talked about how the meaning of life was recognizing love. Um, we're put in this world to, to be able to figure that one out. The Rambam talked a little bit about how his idea of, of, of going about that was being, it was more of an intellectual exercise, it looked like. Um, not everybody agrees, you know, even though that, that there's fair consensus about that one. Um, you know, kind of the question has always be, the, the question has always been, do you, do you get that through thinking about it or do you get that one through feeling about it? So we're made of Chris Chris. So, Contempt, sort of a contemporary of the Rambam. You know, he, he put forward and said, no, it's not, it's not about developing one's intellectual capacities, more like developing one's emotional capacities. Learning how to love, you have to, you have to be able to feel it, which kind of makes a little more sense, I think. We talked about halacha as being a map of meaning, how, how halacha reduces the complexities of the world and is, is, is almost like a scaffold that we kind of put meaning on. And that's something we didn't quite touch on, but in that same vein, is that halacha makes value judgments. And what I mean by that, I'll give you a case, I'll give you an example. Let's say that we have a, you know, you're in your shtetl, you know, you got a ni- nice Rebbe, you know, who's been teaching everybody Torah for the past 30 years, you know, he taught, he taught your, he taught, you know, your parents, he taught you, and he taught his kids more than 30 years. You know, old Rebbe. Everyone knows him. And all of a sudden, a new Rebbe comes in town. And he's younger, smarter, faster, better. You know, like he's, he is in every way, shape, or form a better teacher than the old Rebbe. And he's competing for students. He rolls into town and everyone's like, oh, hey, he's really interesting. I'm going to go to his class. And people stop hiring the first rabbi to teach the kids. So what's the halacha? What's the value judgment? Because we have two values on the table here. Hmm? Wouldn't it, like, not allowed to do that in a way because you're making him go out of business? That would be one value judgment. Gratitude. This guy has been teaching everybody since time immemorial. He taught your father. He taught you. He taught your kids. You owe him something, right? It's more or less, yeah, it's more or less what you're, you know, what you're, what you're saying there. That's one value. The other value is developing wisdom. The other teacher is simply a better teacher. He's going to enable all the people in the city to understand their role in life better, understand God better. People are going to come out better, better students of Torah, better, better scientists of love. That's the value judgment debate. That's the conflict. So the as you know, in this case, the halacha comes out in favor of the new rabbi. Sorry, old old rabbi. You know, even though gratitude is an important value, when it when it is against the other value of developing wisdom, wisdom wins every time. So the Torah is is a is a tool that we use to resolve conflicts of value. Didn't quite get that idea last week, but but that's something worth worth putting on the table. talked about how we're creating our own afterlife, that developing um, 
spiritual principles, understanding spiritual principles. We're building, we're building our future with God, basically. And, and we touched a little bit on human suffering. And that was, that was, a, that was a, a fun topic. So I wanted to give you guys to this week, I wanted to give you guys a, another medrash. This one's in Gemara Nida, Daf Lamed Ahmed Bez. It's a cool medrash. Um, you know, what's this thing called here, you know? Uh, or the mouth tap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something The philtrum. I only know because I have it written down. <laughs> the philtrum. Yeah, that's the story. What's, what's the story? The mouth just do everything and you're in the womb and then when you're going to be born, he presses you up here to get everything. So this, so this is the story. You guys know it more or less already. So the Gemara there says there's no, no more enjoyable experience than being in the, in the womb. And the Gemara's like, okay, yeah, you know why? You know, not, not, mu- not much is going on in utero. So it says, no, well, you know, what, what actually is going on in utero is you're learning, you're learning the Torah. And it's really, it's actually, it's really cool because like in that Gemara, they don't, a lot of people say it's the Malach, that's, that's the angel that's teaching you Torah. It doesn't say that. It doesn't actually identify the teacher. I wonder if it's a Shem. I don't know. I just, want to, I just thought it was an interesting idea. They 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 hold out to the last the, the, the last part of the story where it's where it's the angel that's giving you the giving you the whack. So you're hanging out. You're learning. You're learning all this Torah, and right before you're ready to be born, the angel shows up, and he says, "Okay, I'm going to make you take a shvua. You're going to have to you're going to have to take an oath before you enter life. This is what you're promising to do." You're promising to behave righteously and to not act wickedly. You, you're, you're, you promise to think that even if the whole world considers you a huge sodic, a really righteous person, you should always look at yourself as though you're not. That's the second thing you promise to do. And the third thing that you promise to do is to believe that God and all these spiritual forces, including your soul, is pure. And you accept, yeah, okay, in this life I'm going to be judged. So after you take this oath, it's, it's not just he taps you on the, on the lips. That's the nice version. The Gemara says, he whacks you on the, on the mouth. Bam! And then out you go. That's the Medrash. Anybody hear of Jean Piaget? He was one of the early cognitive uh, psychologists. And what he, what he did was he did a lot of the research in... In studying how kids play, how do kids learn? That was that was he was a genius. I mean, the guy was like off the off the wall intelligent. So what what he what he came out with in his question of well, how do how do kids learn? You guys play tag? Yeah. yeah. Good. All right. And every game of tag, there's always that one person who doesn't know how to play, right? And what does everybody yell at him? You're breaking the rules, right? You've had that experience. Where's the rule book? How did you? How, how did you? How did you? How did you know? Because everybody, everybody recognizes poor kid. It's always the same kid. It says this poor kid breaks the rules of tag, and everybody points. You're breaking the rules. Stop it. How do you know that he's breaking the rules? So Jean, okay, there you go. Yeah, you should say it in a nicer way. That's for sure. What Jean Piaget noticed is that we don't learn things in the sense of there's, you know, it's, uh, our experience of learning anyway is you don't, we don't just learn new things as though they pop out of thin air, but we actually discover things that we already know. 
Like in tag, we, we, we know how to play tag before we can verbalize the rules. As soon as we point out, yeah, Jimmy, you're, you're breaking the rules, as soon as we verbalize that, we're discovering in that moment something we already know. That's very much what this medrash is all about. That as far as halacha goes, most, most of learning halacha is discovering things you already know. It's why more or less halacha makes sense. Not all the time, and we're going to get to why that is in, in uh, future classes. But for the sake of argument, most halachas kind of make sense. You know, what, you know, get up, you know, say thank you whenever you have something nice to eat, wash your hands, you know, treat people nicely. Most of halacha makes intuitive sense. So from a, from a cognitive, from a Jean Piaget cognitive perspective, and from this medrash, well, it feels that way because we already learned the entire Torah. We're just discovering it again as we go through life. It's so kind of breaking down this medrash. What's kind of cool is, is looking at the oath. It's a little intimidating, some of the things that we're, we're taking an oath for. Um, so what's kind of cool about these three is that the first is an action, the second is a thought, and the last one's a belief. Covers every sort of behavior people can do in life. Action, thought, and belief. I want to take a few minutes to talk about belief, you know, especially since you know, we're, we're playing around with the whole religious idea. What's religion? I, I, it's, it's kind of worth getting a feel for this one, you know, especially since we're all doing the whole religion game anyway. We don't want to be called out, hey, you're cheating, like tag. How do you play religion? I kind of juxtapose religions to ideologies. They're very different birds. Because a religion is something which... There's, there are these two sort of competing themes in the universe. There's chaos and there's order. Tovo, you know, I just, I don't, you know, I, I actually only appreciated this last, uh, this last Shabbos, you know, in the beginning of Rashi's, you know, God says there's Tovo, there's chaos. He didn't get rid of it. I just only realized God never got rid of chaos. It's not like, and he snapped his fingers and it went away, and then God created the world. It's that, well, there's chaos, there's Tovo, and then God created the world. There's order, there's chaos. You have this theme also with Ganadin, and where, where the, the, the birthplace of man. Gan Eden was, was a, a walled garden. The wall is structure, that's order. The chaos, the idea of chaos, well, is, is nature, is the garden that, that Amarishan was running around having a good time in. There's this, there's this uh, paradox in life. And even, this is, this is really cool, our brains are actually geared to be sensitive to order and chaos. Our, our left hemisphere is actually geared towards, um, is geared towards order. Is it like creativity versus little bit? Math you can kind of frame it a little bit that way, but but you know our our left brain is very is 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 geared towards order, and when there's order, you're safe. When you're safe, you're open, you're curious, you're exploratory. Your your behaviors are very free. Your your emotional affect is very positive. That's order, safety. The right side of your brain is geared towards analyzing chaos, scary stuff. You know, behavior is regulated. You know, that's why people freeze, or an all animals freeze when they're in danger. Um, negative affect of fear and anger are more or less 
I mean, I'm speaking in gross terms, it's not clear cut, but is mostly processed in the right hemisphere. So we're, we're even biologically geared towards chaos and order. And religion is, in the same way I was kind of giving the idea that, that halacha is trying to reduce con the complexity of, 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 of life, well, that complexity is the paradox between order and chaos. That's exactly what that is. And any time that you can't hold both, or you get sucked into one side of things, that's when you start developing an ideology. Ideologies are dangerous because of that. Because an ideology, you can, you, can, you know, one example of an ideology is, the, is, is politics. You have liberals and conservatives. Liberals are actually more in line with more of a chaos theme of looking at the world, and conservatives are more orderly. And you can, these are, you can take personality assessments and be able to predict with like a 90% accuracy what a person's political affiliation is. They're based on a person's personality. How much are they more orderly? How much are they more creative chaotic? But it's only taking one side of the picture, and that's why ideologies are very dangerous. You only see one side of the picture. That's why if you get into a political debate with somebody, it's never a debate, it's an argument. It's like a pseudo-debate. Everyone only sees their side. A part of it is because that's actually your personality. You're built only to see one side of things, generally speaking. But what religion tries to do is tries to pull people out of ideologies and to be able to hold both. Para uh, hold that paradox. Chaos, order. Liberal conservative. <laughs> yeah. What about those people who first take religion and then make it into an ideology with only seeing one side of what they see? But yeah. what about also people who can see it both ways? People who do that, that's not a true religion. They're not religious. It's an ideology. They're out of touch with reality. Oh, so yeah, seeing both ways, they're not. I'm saying you, the, the first example you gave of people who only do one, that, that's not a religion, that's an ideology. It just happens to be they throw God into it. And what about those people who could see it both ways? That's more, that's a religion. And why, no, but like, what would make a person be able to see it both ways as opposed to people who can only see it from one side? Why do some people do that and some people can't? Um, one part of it could be personality. I, for example, my personality, I'm kind of like I'm in the middle. You know, with, with uh, personality assessments, I have conservative characteristics, I have liberal characteristics, I have orderly characteristics, I have more chaos. That's a bad word. It's not like chaos like bad, but chaos is good. But, but um, more chaotic uh, 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 proclivity. Creative. So creative, yeah, that's more, that's more of a pleasant term. Um, so that's one reason. Um, another, another is that it's, it's easier to have an ideology. It requires people to think less because you basically adopt a, a, a single simple narrative and you filter everything through that simple narrative and it's just easy to go through life that way. It just happens to be a miss half of life. It's easy. It's, it simplifies things, but it simplifies it too much because life is not one or the other. Life is neither order nor chaos, it's both. It's almost though like yeah. religion is the thing that makes people one-sided. It's like, it's like it, it, it feels a bit like religion is more one-sided. Everybody falls into ideologies, even religious people. But that's not religion. So is, does religion tell people to see the other side as well? It demands like, it. It demands it. That's a demand, yeah. That's hard. It's not so easy. So, like, 
why let's like let's say for example i don't know taking just right now what's going on like england education system they want yeah. the non-jewish what they, they the government want them to be teaching um more liberal concepts they want them to be teaching other religions and other um other ideas but they're saying no we want to only teach our one side like yeah. things like that so they're very much set on like we're only going to teach our things and that's the way to how does that fall in that's very that feels that feels quite um, orderly rather than teaching it is the orderly, other yeah. side. Yeah, it is orderly. Build the walls. Keep, keep out keep out the aliens. 100% right. Yeah. So then where does it come into like... It, 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 is that just it, because they're developing kids? Well, mind? it's hard. It's hard. If you pick individual cases, it's hard to... Here's how you can tell the difference. Sometimes you have to make that judgment call. Sometimes you have to make walls. Walls are very handy if there's danger outside. You don't want to just not have walls. Right. Um, you can tell the differences if the person who's advocating for walls can't describe the benefits of not having walls. If, if it's black and white, it's an ideology. It's true, you have to make a judgment call at the end. That's, again, what halacha helps us do, is make value judgments. Like get, getting, getting back to that rabbi example, like if you don't see you should be grateful for that rabbi, there's something wrong with you. If you can't see that there's something that it's really important to develop wisdom, there's something wrong with you. You have to be able to see, I mean, I don't want to be so critical, but, but you have to see both. That's religion. But if you only see one, that's an ideology. That's, that's something you run away from. <laughs> it's not going to lead you anywhere good. So yeah, again, so in single situations, you can't really tell, you know, with your example, you know. You can talk about that example in both ways. Just make sure you're talking about it religiously and not ideologically. Yeah. That's the best way to put it. Okay. So let's break down this oath. So we got actions, thoughts, and beliefs. Okay. Behave righteously and don't act wickedly. So religious Yeah, are, okay, go for religion it. Religion is the opposite of ideology. Not opposite, but it's it's like it's a it's a ghost of religion. It's like it's a, it's bad. But you know, let's many, put it. It's bad. We can but, put it that way. But many religious people aren't open-minded. They're close-minded. They're very close-minded. Yeah. Okay. It's so an ideology. it's an ideology. You have to do both. You have to be able to make an argument for both. This this this, by the way, is very much um, my yeshiva was different. Most yeshivas don't do this, but but my rosh yeshiva really really drilled this into our heads. We'd, um, you know, we'd be learning a, a sugya, and he'd kind of be wandering around the base medrash, and he'd, he'd listen to, you know, you know let's say I'd be arguing for one, one interpretation, and my chavrus would be arguing for another. He'd say, switch arguments. You take his position, and he needs to take your position. So this Yeah, you have to be able to hold both. Most yeshivas don't do that, but uh, that's... Yeah, that's be religious, <laughs> don't be ideological. Okay. So, action, thoughts, belief. So behave righteously, don't act wickedly. So what's cool about this is, is the emphasis on behavior. It didn't say that you, you make yourself inherently uh, exotic. No, no, no. Behave like exotic. Our bodies, follow, our bodies very much determine how we feel. Most people don't think that. 
you know, in my practice, you know, one, one, one problem I have is um, motivation. You know, I'll give homework to clients, and, and it's complicated stuff, especially people are dealing with serious problems. It's like, you know, they don't want to do what I'm asking them to do. Someone who's depressed, you know, one homework assignment can be, get, go, wake, get up, get dressed, go buy a Coke. That's your, that's your weekly homework assignment. They don't want to do it. So what I'll, what I'll do with people is, is kind of show the point here is... I have a, a sink in my office, and I'm usually, you know, I'll have a, find some sort of disgusting, you know, make a disgusting cup of coffee, whatever, you know, the real grimy Turkish coffee with the, with the junk in the bottom, you know, and so I lead the client into the sink, and I put the cup there, and I put the soap there, and, and, I, ask, and I ask them, well, how, how motivated are you to clean my cup? And everybody who is sane says zero. I am not, negative 9,000. I don't want to clean your cup. It's gross. It's okay. Fine. So go ahead and um, just just pick up the cup. Don't clean it. Just just look at it. Really look at it. You know. Okay. Put it back down. It's like okay. Well, is there look? Is there a sponge there? Uh, yeah. Okay. Describe it to me. And they'll describe the sponge. Okay. Pick that up and look at it. Okay. And they'll look at it. You know. There's soap. What does the soap smell like? Oh, it smells like apple. Okay. And I'm just having them behave, 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 interacting with my disgusting cup of coffee. And then I'll tell them walk away. And they'll look at me like I'm mad. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to clean it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why? why you know, you, you, I'll get people who are, uh, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 motivated. The lowest I've ever gotten is 7. It's they, their feelings about what was going on changed only because they changed the way they behaved. So the first part of this oath is this very principle. Behave a certain way. You'll actually eventually feel and think differently because of it. I mean, they've even done research in, in, in seeing how your genetic code actually changes when you, when you act differently. There, there are certain um, uh, genetic patterns in your, in, your, in your genome that just turn on when you go into a new situation. Things that had been there and in your family's history for thousands of years, all of a sudden you walk into a McCullough and you know you see something you never saw before, or you have to some weirdo situation the bus. Your gene actually changes because you acted differently. I, I understand. We see something, let's say, like horrifying, and that gene gets triggered. Like, what do you? Mean? It could. I mean, in, in any in any situation, whenever you're exposed to something new, you, it's it's kind of like. You you have two types of memory. You have memory in your head, and you have memory in your body. Yeah. And the memory in your body goes back until a lot of Basically, every human experience is somehow encoded in your genome for real. And those genetic, I have lack of a better term, you know, patterns, we'll call them, um, the, those that are running your family are more pronounced. So it's like the experiences that your forefathers had, you your body remembers without you noticing. So when you experience new situations, they get turned on. You remember things you've never done. You discover as you opposed to learn. Like getting back to Piget. What? Yeah. Okay. Sorry, could you repeat that, please? <laughs> okay. What? We'll get back to it. After, any questions like that, after we can, we can. But we can, like, how? Like, what, like, like, I understand muscle, like, what's called muscle memory? Yeah. But like, that's what we, like, our bodies experience. Yeah. They're just, the research of this is just exploding the past seven years. It's like, the things that your mother was going through was going to, it, 
physically in her day and how she's feeling is going to determine your personality proclivities. While you're while she's pregnant? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's nutty. No, but like, yeah, while she's pregnant, but like before she yeah. was pregnant, like, yeah. What her mother did and what her mother did and what her mother did. It's wild. It's wild stuff. Okay. So behave. You, so so behave, behave behave differently because you don't know what you're going to find in yourself. That's the first that's the first oath. What does that mean? This idea I'm saying you're not going to you're not going to know what, what's inside of you until you behave differently. You'll unlock those memories. Those memories in your in your genetic so code. Being righteous, like do it and see what happens. <laughs> Behave differently, and then it will trigger. Yeah. The next one is is even if the whole world thinks that you're exotic, look at yourself like you're not, like you're Russia. That one sounds pretty harsh. I, I, t- I thought a little bit. Took me a little a little while to think about this one because it's that it didn't sound right. I think what this what this oath is is describing is the idea that we have to emulate God, and it's almost kind of like it's a it's a continuum that that you know emulating God. We can never actually emulate God. I mean, well, He's God. I mean, like you're never actually going to do the God thing. But that's not even what I mean. Uh, becoming more and more merciful and loving and kind and. And giving. I mean, these things are infinite in, in a certain sense in how you do them, how you relate to them, how you think about them, how you feel about them. And so you can always improve. So it's not like we're saying in this oath, think of yourself like you're evil. You know, it, the oath is not believe you're bad. Do not believe you're bad. Especially with the third, the third oath where you're supposed to be saying, yeah, your neshama is pure. That, does, that, 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 that dog don't hunt as we say in Iowa. That's a bad shot. Rather, it's trying to get across this idea that you never, you never finish growing. Never think that you're done. Because if you really think, yeah, I'm exotic, well, you're done. No, you're not done. You keep growing. The other, the other idea here is it, it frames who you should judge yourself in reference to. We like judging ourselves vis-a-vis other people. That's one way we learn, actually. It's actually an effective way of learning. We look at other people. We model their behavior. It's a fair way of, of, of picking up tricks. It's base, basis of learning theory and psychology. But you're not supposed to judge yourself based on other people. Number one, we, we always overestimate how other people's lives are. You know, not to, not to get dark, but I mean, the one 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 paper I saw. Anybody guess the 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 proportion? How many people seriously think about suicide in the world? Throw out a number. Sixty percent. Nine out of ten. Nine out of ten. I go less, but the, you're, oh, so you're you're right. You're, you're in the right direction. Fifty percent of the population. How much? Fifty percent of the population. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The way the way I'm saying it, you know, it's like fifty. It, people's lives are hard. You know, a lot of times we just kind of think of like, you know, especially in the world of therapy, it's like people come in thinking, I have to make my life good because that's normal. No, pain's normal. Like, you know, people have hard life. That that's normal. Don't overestimate how other people's lives are. They're bad. It's a bad judgment call. Yeah, I saw this amazing quote. It was like, yeah. don't don't base. You're behind. Don't judge. You're behind the scenes based on someone else's highlights. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
you, you never really you never really know their highlights. You never really know how you know no, what their you, life's you, about. You know, you're behind the scenes and then yeah. you're showing that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you should always judge yourself according to yourself. Who were you yesterday? The the last idea I kind of gleaned out of this one is that we're we're promising to fix ourselves. It's kind of cool about leadership from a Jewish context. We don't people should not run after positions of leadership. And in Judaism, we discourage that. You know, all the gadolim, no one took a vote and they weren't, you know, Rav Eliashev, you know, he's a good example. My, my Rav knew him personally. He was a chavrusa of Rav Eliashev. And it used to be the old days Rav Eliashev was hiding in the mirror, you know, just reviewing Mishnayas. No one knew who he was. And then all of a sudden, trickles of questions. You know, people started to discover, hey, this, this quiet old guy seems to know a lot. And more and more people started asking questions, and, and they'd, whoa, 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 you really know a lot. I want you to decide my halakha questions. And he would always say, no, I don't want to do it. He pushed people away. And at a certain point, it was like this watershed effect. All of a sudden, like, everybody in the Jewish world knew who this man was, and they basically twisted his arm to be the leader of the Jewish people. He didn't want to do it. He didn't want the job. It's a headache. You know, on top of everything else, it's a headache. So, you know, this, this, this idea speaks, speaks to the point of you want to change the world, you should only try and change yourself. How does this connect? If you want to change the world, only try, only try and change yourself. That's more truthful. People, people who don't put in the effort to try and improve who they are, which is freakishly difficult, getting your affairs in order, now, how many people have a clean room? One. I don't. You know, my bed's not made. Yeah. yeah. It's like, be, be, before, before trying to solve the world's problems, have a clean room. You know, like, you know, you know make, make, sure, make sure you show up to class on time. Before, before you want to solve all these political conflicts, you know, Make, make sure you get enough sleep and like keep 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 to a normal diet. I mean, like like that's that's really what you need to do in order to be. Able, but what, but by doing that, you end up being you develop um, the meta of truthfulness. This that because you can be honest with yourself, and you're honest with yourself in every way. Now you have a shot at being a leader and solving the world's problems. You worked yourself out. Now you can do something bigger. So how does this connect to leaving that all the forces are pure? Okay, oh, now that's the last one. That's the oh, last one. Not, that was no, the that was the. Oh, even even if other people think you're a tzaddik, always look at yourself like you're a Russia, that you're wicked. That's that one. The last one. Believe that God's pure, all spiritual forces are pure, and your neshama is pure. You have to know how precious you are. That's the bottom line of that one. I'm going to use this one as a jumping off point, getting, getting more back into halacha. Because there's, there's three different, you can kind of think of them as, think of them as meta-concepts in halacha. I mentioned them last week, 
Bein Adam Lamakom, Bein Adam Lachavero, and Bein Adam Laatzmo. Halacha is vis a vis God, other people, and yourself. Where do you suppose you should start? Yourself. You and others. Yourself. With yourself. You know, and it's a fair point. Everybody, you know, especially this time of year, everybody is thinking about, you know, do tshuva now. And it's always in the context of be a better person to God, be a better person to other people. No one's ever talking about being a better person to yourself. So it's, it's an honest mistake, you know. That's, but that, that, that is where Avodah Hashem begins. You guys heard of Rabbi Yonah, Shari Tshuva, yes, famous book? Yeah. He wrote another famous book, Shari Avoda, the, the Gates of Service. You have to know how to serve God before you do tshuva. Read that book first. So the opening, the opening chapter of Shari Avoda is this very point. You, before you do anything in serving God, you have to get this part of the shvua, this part of the oath, clear. You have to know your strengths. You have to know your own greatness. Not not in a not in a you know gaivedic you know haughty sort of way, but like making a real assessment. How good are you? That's a tough job because it's not just knowing you're great. Rabbi Tzadok, he he put forward this idea. It's not just knowing that you're great. It's having a muna that you a, 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 a muna that you're great. It doesn't go against the second one. What do you mean? Because in the second one, you're supposed to yeah, you can like you're not supposed to think of yourself as a Russia, but if you're thinking of yourself as great, then what do you really have to work on? Ideology or religion? Okay. <laughs> okay. It's a handy concept, right? Yeah. Yeah. You don't just need to know that your strengths. You have to actually have a muna in them. So now we have to define a muna. Just the same way that you believe God exists, says Rabbi Tzadok, you have to believe in your in your greatness. A moon is a cool thing. You know, I, every every now and again, you know, I, I really I think they're cool. You know, you ever see these like religion debates where someone is schlugging up uh, Richard Dawkins or any of these other atheists? You ever, you ever see these on YouTube? Yeah. Okay. All the time. All the time. Yeah. Well, go-to. one that's, that's your go-to. That's what you do <laughs> after 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 spaghetti night. That's what yeah, you guys do. <laughs> what I don't like about these debates, but there's a lot of truth to it. As sometimes the religious guy is gonna, you know, pull the whole "you really believe in God even though you don't" card. You guys heard that one before? Yeah, I don't like that one. But there's a lot of there's some truth to it because amuna is a behavior we all do. It's just what do we apply it to? The Chazanish in his book, Amuna Bitachon, um, he writes in the first chapter there, he gives a really cool definition of Amuna. Amuna is just basically being curious. It's being open and curious. It's expecting, it's, we assume there's meaning. And that's how we engage in the world. We, we're, 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 just, we're just, how can you not be fascinated about everything that's around you? I mean, you come to this. You come to the school. Like you're curious. You know, you go out. You want to. You know, what's for dinner? You're curious. You want to. You know, go. What's the weather? You're curious. even in mundane stuff. We're curious. And we're all. That's a muna. The only reason why you're curious about anything is because on some fundamental level you think it has meaning. That's what makes it interesting. That's the behavior of a muna. 
So the question is how much, how, how far you apply that behavior. You know, a lot of time, you know, people want to, you know, have faith in God. Well, it's about being open and curious to what's God all about. That's a muna. Because you assume that there's meaning there. But you can apply this, this behavior of muna to everything, including yourself. It's kind of like, it's also kind of like, we take it for granted. It's also kind of like engaging in the world. It's like the way you accept gravity. No one has to explain to you that gravity exists. You know, everyone's right. You, know, you play with your, play with your, like, you know, you got, you got uh, bottles on the table. I mean, no one has to sit down and explain to you, you know, Isaac Newton's theory of, you know, his, his laws of physics to convince you, yeah, just be careful to make sure the thing doesn't drop. We just, we, we unquestionably behave as though it's true. That's a Muna. Being open and curious because we just automatically assume there's meaning and no one has to sit down and explain it to you. That's just how we behave. So, Wait, I don't get it. How does that connect to gravity? Because we, we know it's, we, it's it, we take it for granted. I still don't follow it. It's like the way you accept gravity because I don't get it. Because you don't question it, you just believe it. I mean, it. If, you're, if you're questioning what's within us, take it for granted. Why, why are we taking it for granted? We don't think about it. Yeah, we don't think about it. Why is gravity like this? Why aren't we just floating in midair? We're just like, yeah, gravity, that's what's up. How does it connect to asking what's within us? Because it's a question you think is meaningful. You take for granted it's meaningful. What does what's for dinner mean to you? Well, you know, it's going to mean either it's, it's meaningful because it's an enjoyable experience, it's meaningful, it's meaningful because your friends are going to be there. It's, you know, there's a lot, of, there's a lot you can, you can so just not, throw in. So it's not really about the fact of, of asking the question. It's about getting the information of what's within that. Is that what you're saying? Because it serves some sort of meaningful purpose to you. I, joy or being social, getting together with friends. I mean, you're never, you're never, you're never really asking what's for dinner to know what's for dinner in this sort of bland way. You know what it's like. You ever, you little kids, when you ask them in the morning, what did you do? They give the most boring stories. I woke up. I brushed my teeth. I went potty. No one cares. <laughs> you know, it's cute. It's cute, you know, kids are cute, and like it's, it's you know, the first 500 times, you know, your, your kid tells you that, it's cute, but it, you don't, there's nothing there. That's a story without meaning. That's information without meaning. We, we rarely engage in the world that way or expect the world to be that way. That's why I'm saying it's like, it's, it's, it's just like taking uh, for granted the idea of gravity. No one ever... No one ever asked to, to prove that gravity exists. It just does. That's a Muna. I still don't get the connection properly. Okay. I'm probably not giving it over so well. No, I just don't. I, I'm just, I'm not, I'm just, I'm missing something. It's because, like, things that happen so often in your life, you don't, like, think it into it. You're so, waking like, up at the I'm morning, morning I or just, like, the weather changing. You t- you're like, not, the sun like, comes up every morning. Changing, that's like, just right. how it happens. You don't yeah, think, you don't so, think twice about it. I but, keep on like, referring back to this there. original thing that the Chazanish says that Amunah is just being open and curious. Because you're not curious as to why the weather is changing. You're not curious as to why the sun's coming up. You just think like that. Amunah is being curious. Exactly. You're not having Amunah in the weather changing. You're not having Amunah in the sun coming up. So you're not having Amunah. So having a muna is not being curious. A muna is being curious. A muna is being curious. And taking for granted that things have meaning. 
Because you take for granted that the sun comes up every, every morning. You yeah. don't think into you it. You don't think into it. Like, a if the sun didn't come up all day, you don't think of that. You just you know the sun's going to come up every day. But yeah. it's not actually... So, so, so it, when you ask, you know, you know, did the sun come up? To, who asks it? It's kind of a bad <laughs> example. But did the sun come up today? You never actually mean did the sun come up today. You take for granted it did. Of course it did. You're assuming automatically there's meaning there. That's really your question. Did the sun come up today? Is this going to be a better day than tomorrow? It'll always be something deeper than that. Somebody asked, somebody told me that earlier out that Muna isn't just like, oh, I believe in God. It's like seeing God through your everyday, like, oh, I'm catching a bus, I'm catching a bus. That was Ellie Horowitz. That was Ellie Horowitz. Yeah. And the behavior is open and curious. That's all it is. Open and curious, open and curious. So even though I don't like that line, you know, every atheist really believes in God because it's a jerky line. I mean, like, it's kind of sarcastic. There is truth to it because the when you break down the behavior of Amuna is being open and curious, assuming there's meaning, and everybody does it. So what Rabbi Tzadok is is demanding, we do as the first step in our avodas Hashem, the bain adam laatzmo, is having Amuna in your greatness, being open and curious what you're going to find, and getting that clear. And that takes a lot of time. The, the number one challenge of this first step of Avodah Hashem is people lacking patience and sitting on it. Part of it is being afraid of what you're going to find. But most of it is, yeah, 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 let's get to the good stuff. Let's, 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 let's talk about God and other people. You know, my wife, she was on a Musravad for 10 years. A Musravad? A Musravad. It's, it's like a self-help group on steroids. On steroids. Um, it was it, her. Hers was designed. You guys hear? Of, you guys hear Revolta at all? Yeah. Okay. So it's it's a Musravad based more or less on his and his design of, of how to go about improving your your mitos. And he very much is rooted in this first principle of Urbaniona. You have to know yourself first. You have to know your greatness first. And it wasn't until she was been in this thing for ten years. For ten years she's been each Musaravoda has been learning about they were all very positive and and kind of parive, you know, you know, you know, one one one, you know, enhancing enhancing your awareness of God by whenever you say a Sharyatsar or don't move and just stand and say it. They were all very parive. They never actually addressed a person's uh, character deficits until last what was it last last month. This is the first time in ten years they're actually dealing with negative character traits. The first time they're dealing with anything but their greatness. That's so funny. Yeah, they're working on notice noticing, not even changing it, noticing when they blame. That's how long it takes to learn about yourself. Now, of course, you don't scrap all the Torah. You keep, keep doing Shabbos. But in the back of your mind, the, the, the lens by which you should be looking at in this stage of, of, of your life in halacha is being open and curious what you're going to find about yourself. What are your strengths and how do you leverage them to become even greater? Not how you're bad. That's the final oath. Know that your soul is pure. Are we using the open, curious, finding the good stuff about ourselves to serve Hashem? Is that what we're saying? Yeah, that's the first step of serving God. 
pretty pra it's a, it's a It sounds so simple. Yeah. It like it's, is it what are what are we born with this like I don't know how to say. Are we born with this? Lack of a moon in ourselves. With this, like inclination to think we're bad. Yes. Yes, you're born that way. So. Yes. So we're born with the lack of a moon in ourselves. Oh, it's really interesting how that one works. That from I mean, or is from it a, learned? from a, from less. No, it's 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 in your it's in your it's in your guts. Tonight's why is that? Hey, why is that? Yeah. yeah why, why is that? that? Um, giving a psychological answer. It's to your advantage to survive. The more that you're aware of your failures, the more likely it is that you won't die. From literally, from a survival, from a survival, as a survival tactic. You know, if you don't know how to swim, be afraid of the water. You're not good at swimming. You suck at swimming. Don't go in the water. I mean, it really. We're more sensitive to negativity on every level, with other people, with ourselves, with the world. That's how we survive. It just also, when it gets out of hand, also ends up. Ruining our lives in fantastic and creative ways. Especially because we're not in always survival. Yeah. Mode Especially us. today. I, I think that's one. Yeah, I, don't, I, I don't know. It's like, yeah, I, I don't know. I, 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 depression really on a rise yes, now? Yeah. In 20, it from, no, no. The same, the same tools we use to measure depression. They're good. We've been using the same ones. In the past, I think it's like 10, 15 years, depression has increased one standard deviation. It's getting more prevalent and more, more Are intense. Are just being open about it or is nope. it actually growing? That's a, that's a new thing. So what, what do they believe is the cause of it? Like, can it be linked to any spiritual I think, I think I, one, one, one idea that I think has a lot of merit is we, this is already off topic a little bit, but we, we, we engage the world as tools. We look at everything as a tool. Why is the wall, I mean, even the color of, on, on the wall here is a tool to hide the ugliness of the gray. I mean, everything is a tool. That's how we react to and interact with our world. So, um, we're, you know, so if we're always trying to fix things, fix things, fix things, and well, what if there isn't really any problems? Um, it's almost like our, we're so set in interacting with the world that way, and it works, you know, that, that's actually very effective in the external world, but when you apply that into your internal world, try and fix. If you're feeling pain, get rid of it. Don't have pain, don't have pain. All of a sudden, wait a second, now you have a don't have pain monster running around inside your head. It's called the boomerang effect. The more you want to suppress a thought or feeling, it'll work for a little while as a really good short-term short -term solution, but man, is that going to come back with a vengeance. Yeah. It, it only gets bigger. And so there's a lot of things that bother people today, and there's a lot of ways of distracting ourselves, and, and um, you know, we're not, we're not really in danger so much. We, we actually might be paying more attention to our internal self. We have the time for it. I mean, we're not surviving anymore. Um, and it, it might just be that mechanism malfunctioning a little bit to the point we're just driving ourselves mad trying to fix problems we don't have to fix. It's like humanity is, is like getting, it, it's passing. Yeah, I don't know, this, that's, one, that's one general you know, threat. There, there, you can, you can, you can it doesn't explain everything, but it's, a, it's an interesting idea, I think. Yeah. So that's the first step of Odisha.
know your own greatness. And so, uh, as a as a suggestion, I don't know. I kind of like giving a little practical um, exercise for this one. It's really really try and pay attention to pay attention to when you're beating yourself up and what that sounds like. It has a different voice. When you're being judgmental and being self-critical, it sounds different. The, with other people. Like the voice with sound yourself. Like your own? Oh, with different words. Like you should, you ought to, you, or you might even be calling yourself names. Just be aware of when you do it. And start forming a, a sensitivity or an appreciation. It's almost like learning. You know, it's almost like um, uh, lear- learning learning how to listen to notes, musical notes. It has a different note to it. Just be aware of it. Just be aware of it. Sweeties, guys. <laughs>